Welcome to CCAP Across the Maps podcast, What the Health, where we cover a variety of health topics in the form of personal stories and educational episodes. I'm Michael McPhee, and I'll be one of your hosts. Hello, everyone. I'm Pavlina Tolumi, and I'll be your other host. For season one, episode two, we have decided to interview our international initiatives team lead, Erin Buckman, to learn about her own journey with cervical cancer. Hi, my name is Erin Bothman, and I am a cervical cancer survivor. All cervical cancer or any cancer survivors have unique experiences and stories, so I feel like it's really important to share those and encourage others to advocate for themselves. My story shows the importance of early detection, regular screening, and speaking up for yourself. Thank you so much for being here. We know from the World Health Organization that there's over 600,000 new cases of cervical cancer every year. And while that's a really sobering number, there are real people behind those statistics and everyone's experience is different, like you said. Uh, That's why it's so important to hear stories like yours. So can we start at the beginning? When did you first know that something was wrong? Did you experience symptoms or how did you get your diagnosis? So I was one of those patients that never missed a pap smear or a dental cleaning or a physical or anything like that. I've always been really consistent and up to date on my health. Um, I would go every single year for a pap smear with my gynecologist because I was on a birth control that helped keep my skin clear and prevent migraines. So even if it wasn't uh, so much of a health factor, nobody likes getting pap smears. And a lot of times we try to avoid them. The uh, skin issues and the migraines were enough to make sure I was pretty consistent with going to those appointments, but I never really thought about cancer because I was super healthy and didn't have any weird symptoms. A lot of times with cervical cancer, there are symptoms like bleeding between periods and having pelvic pain, and I rarely had any periods in my entire life, and I never experienced any pain at all. What happened and how I found out was I went in for my regular pap smear and they called me a couple days later and let me know that it had been abnormal. So they had me come back into the office for what's called a colposcopy with BIA. So with the colposcopy, it's kind of like a pelvic exam, but they, it's a little bit more invasive and they use a light with like a magnifying glass and things like that on it to get a closer look at everything. And then they used VIA, which is visual inspection with acetic acid, um, where they can kind of highlight the bad areas, so-called. And then they took biopsies of basically those areas that highlighted is really bad. And when that came back, it was called stage zero. So that's the precancerous stage where there are cancerous cells. And so really that's awesome. I was super lucky. They were able to do what's called a leap where they took a quarter of my cervix, the outside quarter that was exposed, and the leak when they got that sample back showed negative margins, which means that all of the precancerous cells were at the surface and nothing had gone any deeper. So what that means is that they got everything and I was really fortunate and I had total, total peace of mind. So what's really interesting and important to note is I was 24 when that happened And I found out at that visit that all of the pap smears I'd ever had since I was 18 had been abnormal, but I was never notified of them. Recently, the CDC has changed the guidelines to pap smears um, starting at age 25. And a lot of that is because the way my OBGYN explained it to me is 
that tissue is still developing um, on the cervix so they can come back abnormal even though they aren't. So they just assumed that my tissue was changing and not that there was actually anything bad going on. I was pretty upset about that as somebody who takes my health very seriously. I felt like I had been lied to in five years. I had had all these abnormal pap smears and was never told. So it was really sobering <laughs> to realize that, you know, you may think that, you know, you've got your health under control and you're going to all these appointments, but really like I should have been asking for reports and notes and pathology and things that I didn't even know about. But after the leap was done, I went back instead of waiting a full 12 months for the next pap smear, they had me come back in nine. And when they did that pap smear, it was also abnormal. Uh, so they did another colposcopy biopsy with VIA and it also showed stage zero again. So they did a slightly bigger procedure. So for this one, I actually went to sleep and they did what's called a cold knife conization, um, where they take about half of what's left of the cervix, but they take a cone shape of it. And then they burn the margins of the tissue that are exposed after that. So when they got that biopsy back from pathology, again, it had negative margins. It looks like they got everything and it was awesome. And I was 25 at that time. So they had me come back three months later because obviously I was prone to these stage zero cancer cells. And when they brought me back three months later, it came back abnormal again. And I was immediately referred to uh, gynecologic oncology because it was beyond my OBGYN's realm of being able to treat anymore. The first oncologist and I are not friends. He refused to do any treatment or any operation because I was only 25 and I had never had kids, which was really tough for me as someone who values my own life. And I valued the idea of, you know, beating this and being able to just go about my life, whether, you know, I had kids or not, I felt like it was more important for me to live than for me to have a kid and then not live to raise that kid. So we disagreed. And I ended up going back to my OBGYN who was pretty upset with that result too. And she referred me to a different oncologist. So after the first referral, I felt pretty lucky actually to have the option of a second referral. A lot of people are in more rural areas um, and they have to travel, you know, hours to see an oncologist and there's only one. Um, whereas here in the city, I actually had the option to like go see another one. There were multiple doctors available to me. So in that respect, I was very lucky that I could stay here at home and still have multiple opinions and a lot of really educated individuals on my side, as well as the fact that, you know, I've worked in healthcare for eight years now. So I have a little bit of knowledge when it comes to like the ins and outs of the system. And so I could understand a little bit more of what was going on and understood when I needed to advocate for myself. And I think just noting that is really important because there's a lot of people that don't work in healthcare and don't know that they're, but they have to advocate for themselves in certain ways. And that's one of the reasons I think it's super important to share my story. So that second referral with the oncologist, I felt a whole lot better. She was really understanding and found stage zero as well as stage one. So she was very thorough and did a really you know, awesome job. And I'm definitely very, very grateful to her. Wow, Erin, that seems like a lot to go through. Could you share with us what was your feelings? You already mentioned them, but what feelings would it describe that you had throughout this whole process? 
And after finally you got back from your second referral doctor that gave you more information, can you tell us what was the treatment plan that you followed? Absolutely. So I just felt almost like I'd had the rug pulled out from under me. All this time I felt like I had taking care of myself and I was doing all of my preventative care visits and making sure that I was staying healthy. I take vitamins, you know, and I, I really thought I was taking care of myself. So to come back and realize that over the last five years, there had been a problem and I wasn't aware of it. It kind of made me feel like I said, the rug had been pulled out from under me. Like I, I deserved to have that information. I thought And I understand like where the providers were coming from with them not being concerned. But at the same time, I don't think it was fair to me to be totally unaware of this entire time that these were abnormal. I ended up having an immediate uh, hysterectomy scheduled. Um, When I saw the second doctor, they scheduled me before I even left the office. And then they called me later that week and actually moved my procedure up. They had me down on a cancellation list, which was great because once they got in the OR and did the surgery, they actually found uh, that there were two lesions in my uterus as well. So whereas cervical cancer is not known for being rapid or aggressive, mine was. Uh, So it was really important that it was caught early, I think, ultimately my story is just, if anything, a reminder for everybody to always like keep those appointments and always go to your screenings because things can change in a minute. And it's important to have those providers and have a backup plan if something were to go wrong. Um, But they did to what's called a total hysterectomy. So there's total, complete, they, they kind of describe them differently, but um, they removed my cervix, my uterus, and my fallopian tubes. So I do still have my ovaries that are processing like hormones and things like that. So I don't have to have any like artificial hormones or anything like that, but they did take basically anything that was going to be affected by the cervical cancer and those lesions. So the surgeon was great and everything went really well. And I just feel extremely lucky. That is so much to go through, especially like you said, being young and healthy, thinking that everything was going okay, and then to be hit with that diagnosis and that major procedure. After the surgery, what was your recovery process like? So I'd had a few surgeries in my lifetime, and I always say, you know, I bounce back really quickly. No issues with anesthesia, no nothing. I'm always fine. I just come out hungry and ready to take on the world again. But this one was different. I came out and I don't remember the pain that I was feeling, but I was in pain. It's the only time I've ever had to stay the night at the hospital. And I was very fortunate during all of this that COVID was still everywhere. And my mom actually did get to stay with me, which was really fortunate because a lot of people didn't have those experiences with surgeries, but um, the procedure was fully abdominal and robotic. So I have five incisions across my abdomen. And I, I guess um, those procedures are just very painful. Um, The muscle and everything that they go through in your abdomen, it was really uncomfortable. And I was definitely surprised. I anticipated going home that day. Um, I anticipated being able to go back to work early and none of that was the case. I had to stay with my parents for a couple of weeks. I couldn't drive for two weeks. I couldn't get up and shower by myself for a while. So it was it was tough. I, uh, I live alone and I lost every bit of that independence for a few weeks. And my family was 
amazing. They were so great and so helpful, but that lack of independence definitely hits, hits pretty hard. Um, especially when you're kind of in an emotional place and sometimes you just, you need to be alone. But I did learn a lot during that time. Um, I ended up being able to go back to work early. So it's a six to eight week recovery um, before you can go back to work. And I was actually able to go back at four weeks, which was so awesome. I was able to work with my team and it was really, really great. But unfortunately, during my recovery, I did end up losing my part-time job because I didn't qualify for FMLA. So I, I did have to be fired for the first time in my life. And my long-term boyfriend at the time also decided that biological children were a real necessity for him in his life. So he left as well. So it was just a little bit of a rough, a rough patch, but it definitely made me a whole lot stronger. And just knowing that the cancer was gone, I still felt good. I still felt pretty invincible at the time. Um, so I wasn't really going to let those things bring me down, but it definitely is something that I loop into being part of that recovery process. It is emotional, like losing, you know, part of your, part of your body, not just your like reproductive abilities, but just having part of you missing it. It's just, it's odd. It's a weird, it's a weird feeling that you have to kind of overcome and nobody really prepares you for that. But I definitely wanted to make sure I was sharing my story and sharing my experiences or I've got four, three sisters and, you know, several girlfriends. And I just wanted to make sure that they were all going and being proactive about their preventative care and screenings and things like that, because it is so important. If it can happen to me, it can happen to anybody. So it was just really important that I did get out there and share my story. Erin, it is indeed very important. I really, really appreciate you for sharing this, your story with us. Because I'm very sure this is going to help a lot of women out there. And we're very happy to have you with us. Now, I want to ask you something slightly different. How did you go from your own journey with cervical cancer to being a part of CCAP across the map? And us being so lucky having you in our team. Oh, thank you. So it was kind of a fluke. I was trying to do a little bit of like awareness on my own, on my own like social media accounts and things like that. But obviously... I am not social media savvy, so it wasn't really a strong suit for me, but I found CCAP across the map while I was looking for an internship. Um, I'm a healthcare administration, healthcare leadership student, so I applied with uh, my resume, of course, on the website, and it asked, and there was a line that said, is there anything we should know about you? And it was just like a little question. And so I just put on there, you know, I had cervical cancer and I'm a survivor and I, I want to share with other people. Um, I got an email from Jill and Hunter almost immediately and we set up an interview. And from the second I met them, I knew like this was going to be a perfect fit. Not only are they, you know, brilliant and talented people, but we shared a passion and that's something that no matter how well, like, you know, you can do your job or work together or how effective you are, passion is so important. Um, and so for us to be able to share that passion, like it was an immediate match for us and just being able to be part of something much, much bigger than the cancer itself. Really, it's been the best healing process. It's been the best part of recovery is finding another group of people who's passionate about this and really making a difference and making sure that it doesn't happen to other people. I've been able to work on a variety of different initiatives, research projects, uh, educational materials, several things with the organization. 
Uh, in episode one, uh, Jillian Hunter discussed some of the initiatives that they've worked on, um, but I kind of want to go into a little bit of detail about one of the projects that I've been working on really closely with them, and that's our upcoming inter international project, CCAP in Ghana and CCAP in Senegal. So I am the international initiatives lead for CCAP across the map, and I've been heavily involved in launching CCAP in Ghana and CCAP in Senegal for July of this year. So while cervical cancer is obviously going to be the main priority of those projects, um, we're also going to be promoting general women's health. Uh, so we added educational curriculum to include information about the prevention and diagnosis of five different female-specific cancers. So aside from cervical cancer, we're also going to be discussing breast cancer, ovarian cancer, uterine cancer, and vaginal cancer. And then they'll also touch on sexually transmitted infections. Uh, we're going to be working on the promotional mental health in the face of a medical diagnosis, which is something that's very important to me. Um, and then we're also going to be looking at general cancer prevention behaviors, part of our mentorship there, and just, you know, things like avoiding smoking and things like that. CCAP Across the Map is going to be donating all of the relevant educational supplies and medical equipment while also establishing a satellite team to carry out our initiatives once Jillian Hunter uh, launched the projects and then returned to the United States. And the satellite team is extremely important because it offers sustainability. We, we won't just go there and then leave. They'll actually set up that team. They'll train individuals. They'll be training midwives on different things and then be able to like keep those relationships and send further educational material. So it's been so exciting to be part of that. And it's so much better than me posting a cervical cancer ribbon on my Instagram story. Like this is really going to make a difference. Well, it's amazing to hear not just your experience, but also that passion that you're bringing to, to CCAP and to those initiatives. That's absolutely incredible work and spreading that passion to everyone around you. I know everyone at CCAP is very lucky to work with you. I do have a question. What is something that you wish more people knew about experiencing cervical cancer? Like what, what is something we're not talking about enough? In the cancer community, we call it scanxiety. It's an anxiety that you get around scans, around tests. And I know a lot of you, like, there's a lot of typical anxiety that comes with that. Like when, you know, you go and have a pap smear and you wait for your results, or you go and have a mammogram and wait for your results. But the anxiety when you've had cancer, it's kind of like the automatic assumption that it's going to be back. That's anytime there's a problem, anytime you get an abnormal blood test result, anytime you have an abnormal mammogram, you immediately think, oh my goodness, it's back. It's just a different form of anxiety. But including mental health in our educational materials is really important. I mentioned with the CCAP in Ghana and CCAP in Senegal, um, it's really important to talk to people about mental health around the diagnosis, treatment, and survival. So that anxiety just comes with scans, scopes, and other things. It's not only affecting the patient themselves, but also their family members. When I've gone for scopes and things like that, I know not only do I get stressed and panic, but my mom does too. And we trade off. We're, we're pretty good partnership at this point. We've uh, really made a, a effective team of it. But when I'm the one stressing out, she kind of keeps me calm. And when she's the one worrying, I can kind of keep her calm. And we, we trade off in worrying about things. But she definitely experiences the ski anxiety from a different perspective as that being her kid. Um, whereas for me, it's, 
you know, worrying for my own life. She, she worries for that of her child, which I imagine is probably even worse. I can't, you know, I'm, I can't imagine, but I would think that, you know, that's probably even a little bit worse than the worrying for yourself that I've had after having my hysterectomy in 2021, I really felt like I was invincible. So anytime there has been a health concern or an issue, it brings me down really hard and really fast. I just assume the worst and that it's going to be back. It's a defense mechanism for sure, because then I come up with a plan for how I'm going to deal with it. I know I'm going to have to advocate for myself regardless to get, you know, to the right doctors and to get doctors to listen and really just to be heard. Yeah. Ski anxiety, it doesn't just affect survivors. It affects their family. It affects everyone around them. And it really affects kind of the way you live your life and go about your doctor's office visits and your preventative care measures. So I think that's something that's really important for people to know. Once your fight is over with cancer, once you beat cancer, there's definitely a relief and like an amazing euphoric feeling, but it doesn't last forever. Those scary moments are always going to be there. So it's just important to, to be aware of it um, so that it doesn't really break your spirit the first time that it happens. I'd like to thank Erin for coming on to this episode of What the Health and sharing her own personal journey with cervical cancer. Erin, we really appreciate you. Thank you. And you can stay tuned for our next episode and give us a follow on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also learn more about Erin and our work at CCAP Across the Map by following us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and TikTok at CCAP Across the Map. You can additionally stay up to date with us on our YouTube channel and through our website, ccapglobal.org. And thank you for listening to What the Health. We'll catch you next time. <music>